Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord, saints. And again, I say, praise the Lord, saints. And again, I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is what we traditionally refer to as Palm Sunday. This is a special week for us. This is the week we know that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And when he came into Jerusalem, he fulfilled the prophecy yes, sir. Yes, sir. in Zechariah 9 and 9. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The scripture tells us that the king would come riding on a colt into Jerusalem. What was interesting about this particular prophecy is that there'd been no king that was done this in their history. And so they were looking for something new, but something old. They were looking for a king who was the son of David, who would help them in their time of need. And this was that moment. And I just want to read the scripture that the minister read earlier just to repeat what happened. Thank you, Jesus. In chapter 21, it says, And when they drew unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethnage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two of his disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass, tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting on an ass and cult of foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes. And they set him and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. Look, everything about this moment is just what you have. They go and get a colt and an ass, and they didn't have anything to dress it, so they take their clothes off and put it on the donkey, put it on the ass. They didn't come prepared with celebration, so they cut down trees and gave that to the Lord. I'm not asking you to come with anything special today. Just give God what you have. So this is what they did. This is what they did. And we're going to do that today before I get into the message. And the multitudes that that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, we're gonna say that, but before we do, I just want you to understand what Hosanna really means. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. It just means, Lord, save us. So I'm gonna repeat with you, and I want you to repeat what I say. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. One more time. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Bless the name of the Lord. Lord save 
This is a people who have decided, look, if we could have saved ourselves out of Rome, we would have been undone it. And they've realized that we need some help. And so they see this man coming in on a cult. Look, just to be clear, the right way to come in triumphantly is on a horse, a big horse, a strong horse. They want to show off exactly how strongly and powerful you are. But that's not what he did. He came in humbly. And, he, and, the, and the people realized he can save us just being humble. He doesn't even need a sword, doesn't need a horse, doesn't need weapons. But save us. Usually when you think somebody to save you, you say somebody stronger, somebody with more weapons, somebody better than me. But they saw him on a cult and said, save us. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Today I want to talk to you. Please take your seats. Thank you so much. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is great and greatly to be praised. I'm so glad that we are here today together. As with all worship, I put him first. I put him as the center of this moment. I'm not, you know, I spend quite a bit of time studying. But really at the end of the day, my desire, my intent is to ensure that um, it's the word of God that comes forward. It's his word, not mine. It's his way, not mine. All right, ultimately, I, you know, I am hoping that I am simply just a vessel for whatever he wants to speak. I don't want to be in the way of it. I don't want my agendas there. I just want the Lord to be with us. I want him to speak to our hearts. I want the Holy Spirit to be the thing that we focus on here. As we, as we're looking in the scripture, I was thinking about the fact that the Lord was centered in that moment, coming in in humility. They were rejecting what it was their authority was. The truth is the Jewish people in this location, in this moment, needed help to be, come from underneath the Roman authority. And they thought of Jesus as an opportunity to help them. But I think there's something humble about that because you're realizing you're come against your own limitations. And I think that's sometimes important to understand that we have limitations, that we have kind of limits on how good and how great we can be. But I think it's also important to realize that where we kind of end, that the Lord can pick up. Like regardless of how, whatever you think your shortcomings are, I think the Lord is here to help us fulfill us and perfect us and make us complete. So it doesn't even matter necessarily how good or bad you think you are. If there's salvation, it's not really gonna be in you. And I know sometimes we rely on ourselves, we rely on our abilities, but the truth is we should be relying on him a little bit more. Amen. I was reading a couple of scriptures um, that I want to read into your hearing. The first one is in Psalms 118. Psalms 118. It's fascinating. Um, it's, it's a wonderful scripture. Psalms 118. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. Psalms 118, 8 and 9. Um, as I said, we can be tempted to put our, our trust and our abilities and our capabilities into institutions, into authorities, into ourselves. We assume they're gonna be there for us. You know, I remember uh, when I looked at a bit of American history um, during the Great Depression, um, there was an unfortunate moment during the Great Depression where the assumption that your money was in the bank, no longer, people didn't believe it. And there was literally what they call a run on the banks. And what happened during this moment is that everybody said, 
I'm not sure my money's gonna be where you say it is. So while I appreciate the bank has it, I'm gonna go take mine out. Yes. But I don't know if you realize this, the bank literally doesn't have all your money in there. Like at any given, like they have thousands of, of clients, they have thousands of people, and they've taken that money in electronic form and sent it somewhere out there. And if everybody wants their money at the same time, at the same moment, that's a problem because the bank doesn't actually have the cash on hand to give it to you. And this started happening all across the United States because people needed liquidity, they needed cash very quickly at the same time. And the problem was is that these institutions couldn't keep up with the demand. There wasn't enough cash, there wasn't enough gold, there wasn't enough anything. And people started to realize, wait a minute, this system isn't as, as, as strong and as capable and as enduring as we assumed just yesterday. Like yesterday, I knew you had my bank, my money in your bank. Today, I'm not so sure. It led, led, led to the institution of the FDIC. FDIC guarantees everybody, you have a quarter, even if you have, if you only have, a, if you have a million dollars, like the FDICs there says, I'm going to insure 250,000 of it. You definitely have that. So the government's basically saying, I'm backing up the bank. He may run out, but I won't, <laughs> right? Now, you see the, the, you see the problem in the, in the logic, don't you? Because the bank is being backed up by the government, but I've seen governments come and go in the past. I've seen governments claim bankruptcy in the past. And there's nothing you can do against it, about it. It's, a sovereign, it's called what they refer to as a sovereign debt, meaning that the government ha technically has the ability to say, I'm just not gonna pay it, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? So your debt, you think they're guaranteeing it, and the person guaranteeing it saying, mm, I can actually say I don't guarantee it. So these institutions we rely on actually aren't really that reliable. And David, in this particular Psalm, in Psalms 118 verses, one through nine is challenging where we put our trust. Amen? Amen? Let's go to Psalms 118 verses one to nine. It says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. I love the way he sets the stage on this. The Lord's mercy is forever. It says, let Israel now say what the thing I've just declared is, that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron Thank you, Jesus. Now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I love this repetition. I love this poetic repetition. It lets you know I'm trying to emphasize something to you. I'm trying to get something true to you. This, we do this all the time. We say, hey, hey, when we talk to our kids, we talk to our friends, hey, that repet repetition is us telling us this is important. I'm trying to get this through to you. That's what is happening here. The Lord is merciful. You've got to hear me. The Lord is merciful. Let Israel say it. This is like me saying, let Columbus say it. Let Dublin say it. Let Franklin County say it. Let Ohio say it. Let the United States say it. Let North America say it. Let the planet say it. He's mercy. You see that? That's me. There's nobody we're missing out. What does he go on to say? The Lord is on my side. Sorry, verse five. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. What he means by a large place is a place where I can see everything coming. Like a space here. 
Like I can see you, like he's setting me in a place where I have the advantage. David is saying that the Lord was on my side. In verse six, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Here's the thing, David is saying there's empires around me and there is countries that hate us around me, but because the Lord's on my side, I do not care what they can do because the Lord is with me. He's putting this on a global scale. He's putting this on a scale. <laughs> He's putting this on a scale of kings and saying, the Lord is on my side. I know how powerful you are and how strong you are, but the Lord's on my side. What are you gonna do, really, that the Lord is on my side? I love this scripture so much. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. He's making his own will. There's no doubt he's looked at the people arrayed against him. They've looked at the, the armaments they have and the disciplined regiments of folks who are designated their entire job as killing the nation of Israel. And he says, I will not fear. Like he's setting his whole purpose against disallowing fear. He set his mindset against this notion that fear should live with him. And sometimes that's what we've got to do. We have every reason to be afraid, but we will not fear. We will not be afraid. We have every, they're more and bigger and stronger and have bigger horses than us. They have more money than us. They have more capability than us, but I will not give in to my own fear. I won't do it. I'm setting my mind and my purpose against not letting fear into my heart. There is not enough room to be the conqueror, have the conqueror in my heart, and have fear in my heart. I'm gonna say that again. There is not enough room for the king of kings in my heart and fear in my heart. One of y'all has to give space to the other. I'm not gonna give space to fear, I'm gonna let the king of kings and the lord of lords have space, amen? So he says, the Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them. Yeah. And this is where I wanted to get, verses eight and nine. It is better to trust in the Lord yeah. than to put your confidence in man. <laughs> Look, I, do, I am not here every week to tell you that you should put your confidence in me. That is not the case. You may get other preachers and teachers who have different opinions, and that's not mine. My desire is to get you to have your confidence in the Lord. Like, I've put my confidence in it, I'm telling you what I have done. <laughs> I've put my confidence in Him. That way, if I fail, you don't fail because you're putting your confidence in the right place. Like, if you, put an, if you have a house and you're building the foundation and you have four foundations you're trying to put and three of them are really good and one of them is bad, the house is just bad. Like, I don't want to be part of the thing that makes you confident in God. I want you to have confidence in God. If this poster gets knocked out, it don't make you know never mind because you have your confidence in God. It doesn't matter. You're saying, well, I'm sorry about that and I'm going to pray for you, but have a guess what? I'm going to keep my confidence in God because that's where my relationship is. Don't put man, don't put people where God should be. 
Don't do it. First of all, it's idolatrous. It's idolatry. It's literally the definition of idolatry, to put people where God is. It's idolatrous. Don't want it. Don't want anything to do with it. What I want to do is put, put God where God's supposed to be. So David is saying, you know, I'm not putting my trust in man. You know what he's also saying to his own people? Not just to his enemies. I'm not trusting how strong y'all are either. Like, I'm not scared of them, but I'm also not trusting you. <laughs> Don't trust your bank account for the same reason I've just told you. <laughs> the government's backing up, the bank's backing up 250. The government's backing up 250, but everybody could say, mm, at any moment, but there is no in God's plan. There's none of that. He's paid the price already. Yes, sir. Oh my. Come on, sir. Oh my. He's paid it all already. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you know what they're going to say to me? Oh, well, I've got the cash out. You can rely on the cash. In Zimbabwe, I was looking at a story in Zimbabwe a few years ago where they thought they had money to go, right? They had money all over the place. The problem is, is that their currency got devalued. <laughs> so a, a piece of bread that was, and I'm going to use American dollars for the example, so a piece of bread that was supposed to cost $4 ended up costing 1000 That's hyperinflation. Ripped through the whole country. So people took their money out the bank, but then the money out of the bank became useless. I've got $1,000 and all I can buy is one piece of bread? <laughs> So you think, okay, I'm going to trick the system and take all my cash out. And the system of cash just starts going upside down. What you put your trust in is important. But don't make it be on things that man controls because that will disappoint you every time. So I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. So he says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. And here he's saying, making a distinction. Everyday people will let you go down. Men, women, children, they all will let you down. And what's worse is people in authority who you thought would do you good by you will also let you down. He's pointing it back at himself now. He says, I'm a prince, I'm a king, I'm a leader. And David's saying, you all aren't reliable, but also I'm not reliable. That's some, that's good, because it lets me know that the only place I should put my genuine trust is in the Lord. <sighs> so disappointing. You know, when you allow yourself to put confidence in places where it shouldn't be, it gets that disappointment down in you. You get so disappointed when the thing or the person or the item that you thought you should trust lets you down. But the truth is, no one's that reliable anyway. And we've got to make sure our trust is in the right places. And David here in the Psalms is saying, I'm not going to trust you all to say how strong you all are. I'm not going to trust my people. I'm not even, I don't even want you to trust me. I want to trust in the Lord. Amen. Isn't that right? Yes. Amen. So that's Psalms 118, but I have another scripture I want to share with you. Um, just in case you thought things are supposed to change, I loved Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3. It's Paul writing an epistle to the Philippian people, these people who are of Greek descent. These aren't Jews necessarily, so the conversation is very interesting he's having with them. But it's also very important. It's very important to understand that our rituals aren't the things that are trustworthy. Yes, 
um, um, anything we do in the flesh isn't necessarily trustworthy, but God is. So let's look at this what, in Philippians chapter 3, what's going on. I'm actually going to start at verse 4. No, actually, no, I'll start at verse 1. I want to get the context here just right. Philippians chapter 3, and it reads, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He's making clear in chapter 3. I may have spoke to you about this before, and I may be repeating myself, but I'm not bothered by this, and it's actually good for you. So when, I'm, when you hear me preaching and I'm talking about trusting the Lord constantly, it's because I want you to trust in the Lord. I've seen the mistake happen multiple times where people, institutions, buildings, churches, all rely on just one person. And that one person has a bad day inevitably or has a weakness you find out about and everything gets disrupted. And that's not what I want for us. I want our trust to be in the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want you to have personal relationship with him so that you don't have to wait on a Sunday to get in the mood for worship. You don't have to wait for a Sunday to get a scripture. You can just access it yourself. Amen. Chapter three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. The word concision actually is talking about this idea of what they would do to this themselves. Circumcision was a thing instituted from Abraham. But they had this kind of almost a, they were taking things too far. They were going to folks who weren't Jewish and asking them to be circumcised and thinking, assuming that was necessary. And they were going way too far with it. And Paul was basically saying, beware of those people who are thinking that it's that thing that's going to make you, the Philippians, saved. Like we have our traditions given to us and we have to follow them and follow them correctly. The, the Jewish folk were right to do that. But he was saying, don't, don't, Put confidence in people who are telling you that that's the thing that's going to make you saved. Verse 3 says, for we are, note he's saying, we are the circumcision to people who are not circumcised. But there is something different about the way in which we become circumcised because it's us through spiritual um, enlightenment that we become the same people. Remember, Abraham was done this to show that these were the people of God. And he's making them knowing that that's not the thing that makes you the people of God. It's the we worship, which worship God in the spirit. There's something different going on on the inside now with us. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the what? Here we go again. The same thing that is happening in the old book was happening here. People were putting too much trust in what they could see and not enough trust in the Lord who made heaven and earth. They didn't put enough trust in the Lord of heaven. They were putting their trust in habits. And I'm telling you right now, good habits are good, but they always come up short every once in a while. Like I want, I encourage good habit. I encourage good living. I want to make sure that is not what you get from this message. But I want you to also understand that it is the cross that never fails. It's the blood that never loses its power. <laughs> That's the thing we can rely on. So he says, though I had, might have also have confidence in the flesh. He's, now this is an interesting way of writing. I love the way Paul does this. He kind of subverts in a kind of subverted way. He kind of tells them, kind of shows off. Like, 
if there's anybody among us who's going to be confident in the flesh, it should be me, Paul. Paul the Apostle. That's the way he's kind of started this. He's like, you don't have a reason to be confident if I don't have a reason to be confident. You get what I'm saying? He's saying, I'm way more qualified than you, and I'm not confident, <laughs> right? So let's see how he writes this. He says, though I might have also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. <laughs> he's basically saying, I'm better than you. So if you think you should have confidence, surely then I should have confidence, right? And he's making this argument, not to say he's better than them, but he's making this argument to tell them that I don't have confidence in my flesh, so you should have none in your flesh either, okay? All right, let's keep reading because he's going to make that case. So here he rattles off his qualifications. He tells you how qualified he is. Think about this as a job interview where he's telling them his qualifications, what school he went to, <laughs> who his parents are and how wonderfully educated they were, right? Let's read some of the qualifications he puts forward for himself having confidence. He says, circumcised the eighth day, boom, I've met the qualifications of the law. That's the qualifications that male children be circumcised on the eighth day. That happened to me. Witnesses told me I'm good, right? Second one, he says, of the stock of Israel, I am absolutely of the I'm born and bred. This is like me saying, I'm the English guy who has tea at noon, okay? I'm the English guy who, who has tea and crumpets for, for tea. I'm telling you how English I am. I'm the Jamaican who has rice and peas and chicken on a Sunday, okay? I'm the, I'm the American who has apple pie on 4th of July. He's letting you know how, uh, how Jewish he is. How the flesh, he's the right guy for the job. You see what I mean? Let's look, keep going. Touching the righteousness which, um, sorry, let me go back. Verse 5, this is of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he knows what tribe he comes out of. He, that, he's basically telling you, I can tell you my heritage from right now all the way back to Benjamin. <laughs> He's letting you know I'm a Jewish Jew. I, I'm absolutely that thing. I am that one. I'm that thing. He goes on, he says, and Hebrew of Hebrews, he even says it exactly. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. There is no box I do not check. I am it. I'm the one. Let's keep going. He says, uh -huh. As touching the law, a Pharisee. What do we find out about Paul? That Paul started his life when he was called Saul as a Pharisee. And he was a persecutor of the church. <laughs> and we even find out in the book of Acts um, that he was a taught under one of the greatest teachers, Jewish teachers, of that particular time, Galamiel. If you go look in the book of Acts, you'll find him as declaring that I got taught by one of the greatest teachers of the time. Paul is laying out his qualifications. This is like Sister Sonia saying, you know I've got a master's degree, right? Yeah. Now, you, you know I've got a degree, right, from, from University of Birmingham, one of the oldest and best institutions in the, in the United Kingdom, right? <laughs> like laying out qualifications, telling you here, this is what I've done. What are you telling me, right? So Paul keeps going. He says, I was taught as a Pharisee, Meaning not only did I follow the law, but we added more laws, and I followed the more laws that we added. 
Let's keep going. Um, verse 6, concerning zeal, he was the most zealot, he had the most enthusiasm, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. This man is claiming that I did everything right. I absolutely did it right. I absolutely was the one. I was as close to perfect as you can be. And you, you, you remember, why are we, where are we going with this? This is what, why I love this scripture so much. <laughs> Verse 7, but th what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He's just given you all his qualifications. He's told you where he was taught. He's told you who taught him. He's told you how long that he's been a Hebrew of Hebrews. He can trace his family line all the way back to Benjamin. He's a Pharisee. He knows the law. He's telling you that I am basically, he's basically saying I'm a lawyer in this kind of system. I persecuted you folks because I was that zealous about the law. And he says, because of all this verse seven, but what things were gained to me, I'm counting it loss. Like now that I've got Christ, none of those things matter. Can you imagine spending your whole life getting qualified for something, then getting an encounter with Christ and realizing that, oh, none of these qualifications mean anything. Like I've spent my whole life perfecting who I am, making sure I've done everything right, and you're going to be trapped into thinking that that's the way salvation works, when the truth is the way salvation works is that he paid the price, and he's the one who's perfect, and we have to get closer to him, not us. <laughs> uh, so you have this confidence in something? I'm assuring you, regardless of how good your habits are, the confidence you shouldn't have is not in yourself, but it should be in him. Yes. And, De and Paul is telling here, I want you to be confident in Christ and not in yourselves. Amen? Verse 8. Let me go back to verse 7 again because I love it so much. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So not only is he saying the things that I thought were positives for me, now when I'm in Christ's realm and idea, I'm under his salvation, those things that were net positive now become net negative. Like it was a plus sign before, but now it's a negative sign. Can you imagine that? You've done all this work all these years, gone to the best teachers, I imagine it wasn't free. Can you imagine piling up the student debt? I can only imagine what it would have been like. He's piled up all this debt to get as great as he can be and says, you know what, for Christ this is actually a negative, not a positive. But not only does he rejoice and give thanks to that, he tells everybody. Yeah, that's who I was, but who I am in Christ now, that's something different. Because I put my trust in him. He uh, says, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and goes far as saying this, and do count them as dung that I may win Christ. Not only does he say it's a loss, he says it's literally dung. That's as 
bad an indictment as you can put on anything. Not only, this is not just saying it's a loss now, he's saying this is the thing I'm trying to get off me. Like you trying to get it off your shoe, he's trying to get it away from him. Not only is it not, is it just a loss, this is the thing that makes him stink now. He's trying to get that stink of the past off of him. <laughs> and he's saying, I'm counting this thing dung now that I understand what Christ is. He's rejected his whole learning, his whole flesh, his whole purpose and saying that the best thing I have is in Christ Jesus. So when people come into these Philippians and selling to them, you need to be circumcised, Paul is saying, wait a minute, I come from that, I know that, and the best thing you can do for yourself is to have relationship with Christ Jesus rather than mutilate the flesh. <laughs> all right, let me keep going. Verse eight, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord and for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, yes. that I may win Christ. <laughs> Here's the thing about it, what he said. He says that I might win Christ, that I may win Christ. Like I'm counting all this loss in the hope that I can win Christ. Like not in the certainty from his perspective. He says that I may win Christ. I love the way he put that. Verse nine, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, this is where we go, I'm founding him not having the things that I thought would make me good, <laughs> not having my own righteousness. What does he say? Which is of the law, but that which is through him, through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What is he saying? You put all this stock and in, in trust into doing it through the flesh, and Paul's saying, hold a second, you need to believe on Jesus Christ. <laughs> You've got all these great habits. I'm not going to take them away from you. I want you to have them. But I want you also to make sure you put the trust in the right thing. The same way David didn't get rid of his army, right? That wasn't his solution. He was just making sure I'm not going to trust y'all and y'all shouldn't trust me. We should trust him. Like, do all the things that make your salvation easier all the things that make you closer to Christ, but understand it's the cross that gives us the salvation, not how well you do any given thing. It's his blood that is shed for us that paid the price. You know, sometimes I think we think that our gift of doing, of not cursing all week is somehow giving us a bit of credit, <laughs> right? We think that, oh, you saw I, I was good this week. I was great this week. Right, and we think that that's somehow a credit for us. All the things you're doing are still losses. <laughs> They're still in the loss column. But what he did for us, <sighs> oh, that's why I get excited around about the Easter time because we start to remember all that he did to make sure that we would have gain and not have loss. Thank you, Jesus. Verse nine and be found in him not having my own righteousness. Don't want to have my own. I don't want to have it based on the law. I want it based on, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I'm going to read down. That I may know him <laughs> and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering 
being made conformable unto his death. I want my life to reflect it in his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Right? His life, I want to be reflected in me. His death in that I don't want my body to have anything to do with it. And resurrection in that the power that comes to me after I give my life to him is what he has for me when he got up from the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. I just have to get to this next few verses. It says, not as though I had already attained. He says, I'm not going to act like I'm perfect, right? I'm not going to act like I've got everything just right. I'm not going to do it. This is Paul who just gave his qualifications and basically said, I am perfect. All but said it, right? He gave all his qualifications. Then he goes down here and says, I'm not going to act like I'm perfect, right? I don't want to do that. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I'm going to make my life seem like I'm always trying to get better. Yes. Isn't that the right way to do it? Right. Like, I'm not acting like I've arrived. And I think the thing about salvation is that sometimes I think we do a few things right and think that we've arrived in salvation. And I want us to not so much feel like we've arrived, but more like we are going after something that's always ahead of us. Like I'm always moving, trying to get a bit closer. Amen? So he says, I, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which I also apprehended of Christ Jesus. So I'm gonna keep going after this and try to get closer to Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, he says, folks, I count myself not to have apprehended. I have not reached that goal yet. Even with all these qualifications, I haven't reached the goal yet. <laughs> but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I said a lot of words there, but I want to break out what that means. He's saying, I'm always putting something ahead of me, which is Christ, and I'm striving towards Christ. He's putting his trust in something that's always ahead of him. The journey we have in Christ Jesus never ends because we're always pushing forward. We're always trying to get closer to him. And that's a really healthy place to be. Because as soon as you start doing the other thing, you start to stick where you are, and actually you also start to look a little bit back. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've, when you were driving and learning to drive your car, the, probably the most difficult part of driving a car, for me at least, was everything in reverse. Like I was trying to understand how I'm supposed to, when the wheel turns, it was confusing to me what it was doing when I'm looking back like this. Like I've got to imagine what my wheels are doing in order to reverse correctly. Doing things backwards is the hard way. And Paul's saying, y'all, don't look back, look forward. I don't know if you've ever, tr ever tried driving down a street, like maybe you've gone too far and you have to reverse back. That's the worst part, the most anxious part of the driving experience is doing it in reverse. If you were to ask me to go from my house to here in reverse, I don't think I could actually do it. Like, even if you take everybody else off the street, I could not do it. Some of us, instead of reaching forward, 
are reaching back and trying to go forward and it's not working. It's not the way you're supposed to be driving. Put Christ ahead of you and reach forward rather than looking in your mirror, looking back and trying to figure out why you're not making the progress you're making. He says, I forget those things which are behind me. Whatever's going on at my house after I've taken off, there's no point in looking at my mirror now. It's over. I'm going forward. And we've got to do that to ourselves. Go forward in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Your mistakes, the things that were problems in the past, leave them there. There's nothing for you back there now. Keep moving forward. Don't put your trust in your flesh. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's keep moving forward together in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord.